Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the People, Pain, and Practice podcast, the podcast for RMTs in BC. Today's lovely guest is Adrienne Hutton. She really helped guide me at the beginning of my practice and getting me on my feet after school, and I had a chance to sit down with her and catch up and pick her brain on a few more things. Adrian has worked with the BC Lions and a wide variety of different athletes for a lot of her practice, so I was able to chat with her about what drew her to that sector and what keeps her engaged throughout treating that population. We also talk about uh, her thoughts on rent, which is quite interesting, and how to properly establish yourself as your own business because you are not an employee as an RMT. She explains all of this a lot better herself, so why don't we just jump into the conversation with Adrian Hutton. Hello. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, Dean. It's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah. It's been a really long time, and we're sitting in the North Vancouver location Our of brand, Legacies. Brand new Legacies North Vancouver, yeah. How long has this been open? It's been open about three weeks now. Three weeks. And it's, oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful <laughs> up here. So can you give us the the story behind how you got into massage therapy and working with the population that you like to work with? Yeah, totally. Um, so my background is, uh, I grew up in a military family, very mm. nomadic military family. Both of my parents were officers in the Canadian military. And um, in order to sort of, you know, come home after a day and sort of blow off steam, my dad would, he's an amazing cook. So he liked mm. being in the kitchen. And when dad was in the kitchen, you did not go in the kitchen. Um, and mom was, uh, she was, she was the jock of the family. So she would sit down in front of the TV and, you know, watch tennis. If there was a major sporting event going on, she would watch it. And when we were watching it, especially when a big athlete was coming out to, to compete, we weren't allowed to talk. <laughs> we couldn't talk. And it wasn't because they were famous or anything. It was just she was fascinated with the way that they were the best at moving their bodies in that particular sport. So flash forward to this 21-year-old who takes a year of college, general arts, just hates it, hates everything about it. I'm not getting anything out of it. So I take a year off and I'm talking to a girlfriend of mine who lives in Halifax. And uh, she was making way too much money in the tech industry for any 21-year-old having any business making. And so we got into this inevitable conversation about what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. Like, I love people. I love working with my hands. And, you know, no offense, if I had to sit behind a desk, I'd go crazy. So, <laughs> I you. yeah, right? <laughs> I think we're all kind of like that in this industry. Um, so she's like, you know what? There's this cool massage therapy college up here. I think you'd be really good at it. So ask me how much I knew about massage therapy when I applied for the program, like zero. Um, and then I started going to the college and, and biology was a strength of mine going through school. So I immediately took to this new language, this new medical language. And, and then in our second year, because it, was, it wasn't semesters in, in Halifax, it was years. So in our second year, we had sort of this mini course um, in sports and sort of everything just came together for me. This light went off and I got it. it I just got it and I knew that's what I needed to do with my career. Um, so that was sort of my introduction to massage therapy and you know at the time I knew I wanted to come out to British Columbia so I had to write my Ontario board exams and then I had to upgrade because at the time it was a 3,000 hour program where it's now a 2,200 hour program so I had to write another set of board exams and it's okay I, I finally settled out and I'm here. <laughs> that was that was my intro to massage therapy and my path after that was quite clear. Yeah. So yeah because I knew where I was going. But, but getting into the massage therapy program, it sounded 
almost like rolling the dice a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. some of the best decisions in my life have, have been doing just that, just yeah. closing my eyes. And I have um, one of my favorite uh, entrepreneurs or business people is Sir Richard Branson. And he has this quote that I probably shouldn't, but I do live by, which <laughs> is, you know, if you're presented with an opportunity and you recognize it as such, just say yes, figure it out later, just do it, just commit to it. So. Um, and it's worked out for me so far. <laughs> <laughs> sure sounds like it. Yeah. So did you, did you have any experience with, say, an injury that someone helped you with or some sort of... No, literally nothing. Literally nothing. Nothing. Absolutely I had nothing. never had a massage in my life to that point. Never. I mean, I think I'd had physio once. I went to one appointment in high school. But this yeah. whole alternative medical field, I knew nothing about. Um, but I knew it was a lot of biology. I knew I didn't suck at biology. And, uh, and then again, when the sports was introduced, I just, I knew that's where I needed to be. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was all just this tech friend that threw massage therapy in your face. And, totally. And yeah. It and, and it worked out. And in the sports thing, you know, it, it's easy to say that, um, I'm, I'm a massage therapist who focuses on sports. Right. Mm. But I think the truth of the matter is I'm much more a um, like a bioanalytical therapist. You know, mm. sports is very specific in their movements. Each and that's in football. This is, I've spent 14 seasons now. This is my 14th season working with the BC Lions football team, and um, and I think the thing that I love most about it is each guy on the field has his own set of movements, and being you know so. Uh, focused on analyzing people's biomechanics, it's so addictive to find, you know, to watch an athlete compete, look at the way that they're using their body, and then trying to find ways to manually work with them to make them more efficient, to make them more functional, or to m help them manage their pain, you know, and helping mm -hmm. them identify where their pain is coming from and what they can do about it. Right. So that's, I mean, it's easy to say that I, I love working in sports, but I think that's just, especially in contact sports, that's the most biomechanically complicated people that I can get my hands on. <laughs> yeah, so Literally. it's the most stimulating population for you to work totally. with. Totally, that's, that's where, you know, I, I say to my students sometimes, you know, when they're confused about an athlete, that, or not even an athlete, just a, a member of the populace who comes in and they're just like, I don't, I don't, know, where to, I don't know where to start. I'm like, that's so great. <laughs> like, work with that. That's great yeah. to be confused because that forces you to learn more and um, forces you to get out of your out of your bubble, out of your comfort zone, and and really uh, make a difference. Where did you start when you found out that you know sports is probably where I want to go? Mm -hmm. How did you get yourself further into working with sports teams? And how did you uh, did you have anyone that really helped you out and got you into the right? right places? Um, there's been a lot of people who've helped along the way. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing for people is, and it doesn't have to be sports, it could be anything that you really want to work with, is first of all, identifying what makes you tick, identifying what direction you want to go in. Um, and then networking is huge. So, um, I mean, my introduction to the BC Lions, it, you just got to verbalize it. So my introdu <laughs> introduction to the Lions was I was doing volunteer at a, volunteering at a polyclinic for a golf event, I believe it was. And there was a chiropractor who was in this polyclinic and we just got chatting when it was a little bit slow between events. And, um, and he saw me sort of studying up and getting all my material together to be a member with the CSMTA. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, are you into sports? And I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of hard to break in when you're new and you don't have any contacts. And he's like, oh, I might know someone to 
that could help you out. And he's like, do you know the BC Lions football team? I'll put you in touch with their athletic trainer. And I'm just like, I think I gave him every business card I had <laughs> on me. I'm like, oh my God, yes. So yeah. he put me in touch with Bill and then the rest was kind of, was kind of history. So, mm -hmm. um, and then there've been a lot of influences in, uh, over the years and um, like Matt Furlot was huge to, cause I took a couple of um, sports classes through him and got in touch with him. And then when he opened Legacies, he kind of reached out to me. He's like, I know you're into sports and mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can make something work and why don't you come and work at Legacies? Cause that's sort of a shared focus. Um, because at the time he was gearing up towards being the the guy in charge of the 2010 Olympic Games for the massage therapy massage therapy department. Mm. So, uh, you know, that was a huge contact. And then, you know, it's all the various contacts you make along the way, but it's, right. it's you have to verbalize first and tell people what you want. Uh -huh. And it's amazing the people that come out of the woodwork to move you along that path. Like every, people want to see you succeed in when you want to succeed in a certain department, so. Right, did, yeah. you, did you have any specific goals that you laid out for yourself or was it just more rolling of dice? You knew the no, general direction. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm big into goal setting. Yeah. Um, and it started actually in my, I wanna say three months into the massage therapy um, education in Halifax. Mm -hmm. um, we had sort of a little mini business class and they sat us down again three months into the program and they're like okay you're gonna set your 10-year goals and all of us in class were like are you kidding me <laughs> i want to pass the program that's my goal yeah uh, i want to pass and i want to just start working um and i we all thought it was a bit of a ridiculous exercise but um they were talking about how you'd be surprised of how it manifests when you write it down and you tell someone about it so I, I wrote down my goals. And of course, my first goal was, you know, within the two year time span, finish the program and then write my board exams and go to Ontario and work with a sports team, maybe because I didn't, the light bulb hadn't gone off at that point. I kind of thought about it, mm. but work with a sports team and then, you know, da, 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 da. And then they're like, your 10 year goal needs to be something that you think is completely unachievable. Think something that makes you physically uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my God, what's that going to be? <laughs> so <laughs> I wrote down, um, I want to work with the New Zealand All Blacks. Hmm. I'm like, they never come to Canada. This is not a thing that's ever going to happen. But, you know, it'd be cool if it did. My high school was really into rugby. So, and they had toured around Australia and New Zealand. So my favorite color is black. So I'm like, there's a team called All Blacks? Cool, I'm in. So <laughs> anyway, I became, that's how I kind of became a fan of the team. But anyways, yeah. so flash forward, I achieved all of these other things except for this 10-year goal. I'm about 12 years into my career now. And wouldn't you know it, that's what, 2016, mm -hmm. give or take, um, which was the first year that the uh, Rugby Sevens came to Vancouver. And because of all of my football experience, um, and I had volunteered, I'm like, cool, rugby, you know, coming full circle, you know, starting with football and now coming back to rugby. Um, you know, I got a phone call specifically. I was, I remember this, I was in Hawaii on vacation with my family and I got a phone call from the organizer and she's like, so some of the teams want specific massage therapists to come and work with them. You have a lot of experience with great big football <laughs> players. How would you like to work with the New Zealand All Blacks? And I'm just like, yeah, okay, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I hung up the phone. I think I screamed and ran around the... It, it, and more because more because it had manifested, not because I was actually working with this team, but because it, you know, my 10-year goal had manifested. Uh -huh. It was so weird how it all came out of the woodwork. So, um, and now, you know, I, I come back and I'm asked to work with several of these teams every year to year. So it's pretty amazing. So it's really powerful to write these 10-year goals. 
um, because the universe will conspire to make it happen. I'm not p particularly hokey that way, but I mean, there's some freaky things that you just can't explain. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. So, you know, if there's one piece of advice I can offer anyone, it's uh -huh. write them down, put dates associated with them. And the 10 year goal needs to make you uncomfortable. It needs to be something that you don't actually think you're going to achieve. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And what was that experience like when you were <clears throat> there working with them after you got the phone call? Did it feel did it feel like you really achieved something, or was it just a? Did it feel like another day of work, and you kind of thought, kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of. I mean, by by ten years, or you know, I guess at this point it was twelve years working within professional sports. You know, at a certain time, they it you know the. the Fame and the excitement about that is kind of gone, and it, yeah. you know, I kind of joke that all my athletes are just sort of broken meat sacks that need help. <laughs> so, so it was more uh, less about sort of that. Oh my God, I'm working with this particular team, mm. and more about like I cannot believe this actually manifested. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Do you have a a, a most rewarding experience with working with a certain? population or sports team? I mean, you get rewarding experiences all the time. I think my most memorable success story was just sort of a, an older gentleman in clinic. Hmm. Um, he came in and he was on crutches. And this was when I was pretty early on. I think I was probably four or five years into my career. And he came, comes in in crutches. And I mean, the, the distance between the waiting room and my treatment door was probably for a healthy person about five steps, but it took him a good seven minutes to make that journey. <laughs> and he was in so much pain. And I mean, we had a very limited time to execute this treatment because it took him so long to walk to my mm. door. Um, but I had this, and you'll have them throughout your career very, very often, but these light bulb moments, like I know exactly what mm. this is. And so I got him on the table and we did a, you know, a really quick but very specific treatment. And I remember him getting off, I think it was piriformis syndrome, if I remember correctly. And he got up off the table and I grabbed his crutches to hand them to him. And he looks at me, he's like, I don't need those. And he walks <laughs> out and I was like, oh my God. It's like a drop the mic moment, yeah. eh? It's just one of those, okay, you know, brush, brush his shoulders <laughs> off, I'm amazing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, to have that moment of clarity and, that that's that's amazing. So it's not necessarily with a particular team or mm. athlete or anything, but um, those light bulb moments make this whole career like it's incredible. Yeah, that sounds like an incredible experience. I know, you and, it, been and it was just kind of like your average dude coming yeah. into the clinic, but it was so memorable for me. Like I can actually make a difference with people. Mm. Um, yeah, really rewarding. On the other end of that, because <laughs> not every day is, is an incredibly rewarding experience. Not Some day, days no. aren't as rewarding, but you learn a lot. You do. Do you, yeah. do you have any any uh, memorable experiences or or favorite failures that favorite taught you failures. a lot? Where I have favorite failures all the time, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the most first of all the most important thing to remember is you know, failures can really beat you down, but, um, you know, and it can make you feel really awful sometimes, hmm. but every, every failure is an opportunity to learn something. So, you know, always trying to stay on the positive and always try to remind yourself, okay, yeah, I totally screwed up, but uh, I learned something. So yay, moving on forward. Um, so yeah, I, I have lots and those ones are mostly in sports actually. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my very first day working with the BC Lions. Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my very first day, I knew 
I, I tried to read up on football, but admittedly, I knew very little. <laughs> and the only person that I recognized at the time was the starting quarterback. And I'm not going to tell you what date this was, but um, he comes in and I walk in and I'm like, of course, the one person who I might fangirl over is my first person on the table. So I maintain my composure and I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's fine. Um, gets on the table and I work on his throwing arm and he turns over so I can stretch him out and I stretch out the other arm, <laughs> not his throwing arm. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> he walks, he walks he out and he was so No, he didn't say a thing. He didn't say he a was, thing. No, he was so oh. polite and just so gracious and left. And I don't actually think I treated him after that point. <laughs> I don't think he came back. So did you realize after the fact or was it halfway he, yeah. through that you're, I'm too deep into this? No, I gotta... I, no, he walked out and I'm like, oh my God, Adrian, like, come on. <laughs> And I actually, so that was one. And mm. I actually had a like a, a pretty bad failure last season, um, also with the team. <clears throat> he, this particular player, and it was a reminder. It was a learning thing for me to make sure that I'm, because I, I lead the treatment team now. So then now there's ten of us. So it started off with just me, and I realized within that first year that one person working with an entire team is completely unsustainable. You mm. have to have a team around you. And so lucky that we've been able through legacies and, and the support of the company to develop this amazing treatment team of 10 therapists. Um, and, uh, it, but it, it sort of reiterated how important communication is within a team and with the, the BC Lions treatment team themselves. So this one particular athlete just, Long story short, um, would always come in wanting a certain a certain treatment, and um, and sometimes when you're sort of spit firing, you know, uh, you know, an athlete every ten minutes, especially pregame or postgame or whatever, um, you know, sometimes you just kind of fall into okay, you know, treat whatever hurts, um, instead of being the orthopedic therapist that's treating what the athlete needs. Hmm. Um, and as much as I try to do that, I think the team you have to be able to communicate to that to the rest of the team. So anyway. This one particular athlete uh, always came in for the certain treatment, and long story short, he ended up getting an overuse injury, mm. and and it was kind of a, a wake up moment. And I mean, he, it wasn't anything serious, but it was definitely eye opening. It's just like, okay, yeah, you know, guys, more than ever, it's important to treat what the athlete needs, but it's also important to treat what you need them. To do you know mm -hmm. what needs to be done to help support them in their role right. um, and you see this in clinic all the time it's so easy to sort of turn your mind off sometimes and um, and just treat sort of oh you know my upper traps hurt so you know it's easy just to just kind of turn your mind off and just treat their up, upper traps okay we're gonna get rid of headaches for today okay but you're not treating the reason why your upper traps feel tight in the first place um, so, you know, being able to be that orthopedic therapist and educating your patient, okay, well, your upper traps aren't actually tight. They feel tight to you, but they're actually weak. They're fighting a losing battle balance against your pecs because you work at a desk and you're rolled forward all the time. You know, we need to, to open your pecs up and take the pressure off of the traps. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you forget to do that sometimes or, but it's so critical for our role to be able to do that, you know, and so much of that is talking to your patient, mm -hmm. educating your patient. You know, they're coming to you in pain. It's your responsibility as a healthcare provider to tell them why they're in pain and what they need to do about it. Right. Yeah. So that so was, passionate about that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. So, so that was another a good reminder to not 
be too lazy and just treat what they're asking for, a, but to, to make sure that you're proactive in assessing what's going on, making sure they're getting... Well, that and also <clears> making sure I'm, I'm keeping uh, closer communication with my team. Closer, okay. Um, yeah. Because we're all working with them to achieve a certain goal. And again, like it, it didn't amount to really anything. He's still perfectly functional and, you know, <laughs> all of that. He didn't melt to the ground. His bones didn't shatter. No, he's, he's good. Um, it, it was just, you know... And thankfully, it was just a bit of a wake-up call. Okay, guys, we need we need to all be on the same page. Right. Um, yeah. Which is any good any good team is going to be like that, and especially you know, and that's something we learned here at Legacies too was that integrative model, and and the biggest key to an integrative model is close communication all the time around a patient. Um, mm -hmm. So you're creating treatment plans, and you're of course with the patient's inf uh, permission, sharing information to get the patient better as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. and it's under a microscope when you're working with sports teams. Mm -hmm. So, because you have to do it fast. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned uh, when you first started with the BC Lions, you knew you needed more people to help because yes. it just wasn't sustainable. <laughs> uh, when you're in your own practice, in your own room, uh, sometimes therapists tend to burn out a little early. The, th the profession is sometimes known to lose therapists in five to seven years, that sort of thing. Yeah. But you've had a much longer career than that. Yeah. How many years have you been in practice now? As of this month, 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. And you haven't quit? doesn't sound like you're No, I've never had, knock on wood, I've never had any injuries or any um, overuse, anything, really. Yeah. So do you have any suggestions or anything that's helped you over this, you know, decade and a half journey that's kept your mind in the game or your body feeling good so that you can continue to do work in this profession? Um, yeah, I think the biggest key with avoiding burnout or avoiding overuse or anything is, I mean, it's going to sound really lame, but mm. knowing your limits, knowing your boundaries, um, and everybody's going to be completely different. So, you know, the longer I'm in this profession, I've realized that 12 hour shifts are probably not my thing anymore. <laughs> um, you know, maybe 15 years ago, I was all over it. I could do it all the time. Mm. I think my track record was, I think I worked, I think I worked at my longest 32 days straight. 32 days straight. 32 days no straight. No break. Yeah, at the end of that, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe that's my limit. I you need found, to back yeah. off. <laughs> One day in between every 32-day chunk. Yeah, right? <laughs> and now now it's just, it's kind of like, um, like certainly when the Sevens or the national team, the national rugby team is in town, um, when I am working more consistently day to day, it's only for a week span. So it, mm. it's okay, it's not 32 days straight. Yeah. But knowing your boundaries is huge. Um, but as far as actual modifying of treatment techniques, that's something that I think is like a myth in our profession. Mm. Um, first of all, this five to seven year burnout rate. Um, I think a lot of that has less to do with physically burning out and more to do with mentally burning out. I mean, think about it. Like our profession, certainly in the lower mainland of British Columbia, is in such high demand. Like I tell my students all the time, I'm like, you can literally just walk into just about any clinic that you want and say, I'd like to work here and be often offered a contract. Who can yeah. say that? And because it's so utilized by the by the public here, chances are you're going to be fully booked, you know, within the first couple of months. Um, so where do you go from there? Where do you go when you've maxed out your earning potential in your first year? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Like, so I think it's more of a mental burnout and people will mm. you know, open their own clinic or go teach or even leave the profession and do something else. Um, but there's uh, the, the physical burnout. You know, there's also this myth around deep tissue therapy. Mm. I hear a lot from people, oh, I don't want to injure my wrists or my, and I, and I kind of look people in the eye. I'm just like, dude, like 15 years I've been doing this. <laughs> And, but I think the concept of deep tissue therapy, and I'm making quotations with my fingers right now, mm -hmm. is um, 
is a bit of a myth. If you're doing specific treatments, you don't have to apply a lot of pressure for your patient to feel quote unquote deep, like you're deep mm -hmm. into them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I do this with my patients all of the time. If I'm applying pressure to a specific sore spot, whatever that is, yeah. lateral glute or piriformis or whatever, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that's really painful or that's really deep, I'll apply the exact same amount of pressure to another part of their body. And I'm like, this is how much pressure I'm applying right now. Mm -hmm. And it's so eye-opening for them. I'm not, I'm just doing a specific treatment. So I think mm -hmm. when you're specific, you can you know save your body um and, and you get you know the deep release that you're looking for without applying that much pressure um, what i find exhausting is mm. those great big sweeping swedish massages i can i can't do those <laughs> those are what those burn me out the fastest both mentally and physically so i much prefer very specific orthopedic well-assessed treatments to make a big difference with very little pressure Right, so the specificity as opposed to just that Huge. broad digging in everywhere and yeah, and it's not it's not particularly effective either, depending <laughs> on what your your treatment goals are. I mean, uh -huh. and granted, especially around Christmas time, people are burnt out, and I yeah. do not mind the occasional person who's like, I just I just need to chill out. Yeah, right. you know what, me too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're a good match at this point. But yeah. it's certainly not central to my practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it has its value for sure, but those are the treatments that I find exhausting, and mm. those are the ones that hurt my body the most. You mentioned um, that you know with this profession, it's so in demand. You can almost walk into any clinic and get a so. get a contract. What would you recommend for people? Uh, maybe they've been through to a few clinics and it just doesn't work for them or they're new into the profession and they have all these options. It's yeah, like, it's well, intimidating. It is, and you. And if you come from a different profession where it's difficult to get a job, you see the first contract, you're like, take, take me, I'll work. Yeah, I have student loans, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of pressure to just take this, take the first clinic that comes to you. Is there anything that you would recommend or that you've seen over and over again that you, or I guess just general advice on picking a clinic, what to look for, those sorts of things? Definitely. The, the best thing that any student or anyone who's new to the profession or anyone who's looking for a change can do is you have to sit down and think about what kind of a career you want. Hmm. Our profession especially is so broad. It's out there, whatever it is that you want, but how do you know what you want if you haven't thought about it? Mm -hmm. So sitting down and really thinking about everything and weighing all of it, what kind of a clinic atmosphere are you looking, what kind of a culture are you looking for? Are you the kind of therapist that wants to go and do your thing and go home? That's cool, but you have to know that about yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you want to work in sports? Do you want to work in pediatrics? Do you want to work in a clinic that kind of has a little bit of everything so you can maybe help isolate that a little bit more? Um, so that's the first step is you have to think about what it is that you really want. Mm. Um, and then I think the second part of that is when you go through the interview process, um, go into it with an open mind, ask the hard, ask the hard questions. Mm. Um, what are the hard questions? Oh my gosh. I have a list actually. I'll email you it to you. Yeah, yeah please you put, do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll throw in the show notes. And uh, you know what? Yeah, exactly. And those hard questions are broken down into categories, culture, um, you know, equipment, what's provided, mm. rent, all of those sorts of things. Um, and they're given to me, those questions were given to me by clinic owners. They want to be mm. able to share with you what they have to offer. But I find students don't necessarily think in those terms. They think, what's rent? Mm. I just want to know what rent is. Which 
to me, is the professional equivalent to going on a first date with someone and saying, I, I don't care about your personality. I just want to know how much money a year you make. <laughs> right? Like, it yeah. just, it doesn't make any sense. You need to know how you're going to fit into that team and whether or not you're a fit from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into lots of different interviews, asking the hard questions and you know, maybe putting together some of the answers that you like. How are you going to learn otherwise if you're not exposing yourself to several different things? Mm-hmm. Both ones within your uh, demographic, like maybe closer to your home, but also ones that you're just like, that's kind of a cool setup. I want to see what that's more about. But mm-hmm. interview at several different places and, and really put together what speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And then find it. It's out there. Yeah. It, and you've been on both sides yeah. of, of, you know, looking for clinics and also looking for people to join your clinic. Totally. Is there anything that you've learned or that you'd recommend for people if they really found a place and they're like, this is really where I want to be? Mm-hmm. How can they make themselves as, as worthy of this clinic uh, so that out of all the other RMTs that they'll, they'll be picked. Is there anything that you look oh for my specifically? Gosh. Yeah. Well, involvement, get involved. And again, a lot of it is open communication, mm. actually saying, this is where I want to be. I at least want to try something. And there's so many different ways that you can get involved. Many clinics will offer um, body work opportunities. Um, again, so a student can get their feet wet and see if that's you know, they can make a little bit of money, but also see what the atmosphere is like and whether or not they'd be a fit. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing more and more um, internship programs where, and there's various different kinds. We're actually launching one here in a couple of weeks and Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about that. Um, But uh, intern, maybe you can intern and get involved that way. Locums, once you're graduated, there's absolutely no rule that says you have to sit in a particular clinic and work there, you know, and commit to it. Locum, there's tons mm. of locum opportunities available where you can work for maybe a two week period to, well, some covering someone's vacation or up to maybe three to four months covering someone's maternity or paternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really get a good feel and you can have a full patient base, but not necessarily have to commit if you get the feeling after a couple months that that's not a place for you. But there's so many different opportunities to get involved and I encourage people all the time. I'm like, if you don't know, just try it out (laughs) and just say, you know, okay, I wanna take a locum here or maybe work a couple of shifts and really get a feel for it. Like there's so many different ways that you can do that. But involvement is, is just crucial. involvement is key. Yeah. Um, and then, and as I said, you know, involve involve yourself in maybe just if you narrow it down to maybe two clinics that you're really interested in, just mm-hmm. just be involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, it's really simple, but it sounds ex- incredibly effective. And it, well, and it it can be intimidating because a mm. lot of it, it's not certainly something that's well advertised from <laughs> clinic to clinic yeah. that. But I mean, I've had a lot of students come to one of our locations, for example, and I mean, it, it's huge and it's bright and it's state of the art and there's a lot of, a lot of practitioners and, and patients milling around and it, and it can definitely be intimidating. And I've gotten mm-hmm. that feedback before and I'm like, yeah. come and visit again. You know, uh-huh. let me show you my practice, come and shadow my practice. I, I host students all the time mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't want it to be an intimidating place because it's not you know we definitely take an active role in education we hold courses here all the time it's for students and grads mm-hmm. um, and we want to be able to give back to the profession so yeah yeah and you mentioned wanting to give back to the profession and you do a mm-hmm. lot of mentoring and, and teaching yeah what sort of is there anything that made you feel like, you know, it's my time to give back? Did you see a gap in, you know, it's, I see a lot of people applying and they don't have this basic knowledge about treatment or business, whatever it is. What, 
led you down the mentorship path and what do you feel like you you're really wanting to contribute to the this new generation of rmts coming through um yeah so within our clinic we have a mentorship program so any mm. new practitioner that comes to our clinic gets taken by the hand through this um, mentorship program which is a lot of information that they can't and shouldn't be taught in school. Things <laughs> like the difference between ICBC and WCB claims and mm -hmm. um, maybe like goal setting, like we said, or you know, various other things. Um, treatment planning, holy cow, how to do that efficiently and communication skills. So I learned through being a mentor to the people who are coming in through our clinic that that was something I really liked doing. I like being able to share mm. information. So then I started working at West Coast College and bringing some of the maybe sort of the business information and created uh, with my colleague Jake Delman who I think is still teaching some of it right now. I've mm. sort of moved into a different role now but um, yeah so teaching bringing that information as it's relevant to students within the school mm -hmm. um, in sort of a tutorial capacity. Um, so, and I think what it does is it eliminates a lot of fear. That was my goal is I don't want people to come out of school and make some of the same mistakes that we all made. Uh -huh. You know, maybe committing to the wrong clinic and getting stuck in a contract where you're miserable or um, not being able to break down rent effectively so you know you're getting what you're paying for or if it makes sense for what you want out of your career. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of clinical models are even out there that you can gravitate to? What speaks to you if you don't know what's out there? Uh -huh. So, you know, that that became sort of a bit of a teaching passion, but I didn't want to go back and teach until I knew I really had something to offer. Mm. Um, so I waited until I was about 10 years into my into my career before I really felt like I could give something back and make it valuable to the students. But I still I still try to do that, you know, and we still try to do that no matter what we do out of the clinic, if it's a if it's an internship program or if it's mentorship or if it's holding a course or whatever, we're always trying to give back as much value as we possibly can. And mm -hmm. I really, 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 really like try to envelop that as much as I possibly can. Giving back the value? Yeah. Yeah, I try to give back the value. What do you what do you feel your responsibility is as a therapist when you're working with a patient? Do you feel that every person that comes in, you have to fix them and that's your responsibility? It's like, that's what you're there for? Or how do you approach giving value to patients so that they're getting the most out of the treatment, but you're not taking on too much of their mm -hmm. pain, whatever it is that brings them in? Um, so I don't think my responsibility as a therapist is to fix anyone. Hmm. I don't actually think that's possible. Um, I definitely, um, I think it's my responsibility to educate as much as I possibly can based on my knowledge base and experience. Mm -hmm. So when a patient comes in, any patient, um, y you know, I'm, I'm completely engrossed in that patient. And again, biomechanical analysis and, and um, orthopedic testing and all that kind of stuff. But then taking that information and giving it back to the patient. I mean, if you look at our medical care system, um, patients on the whole are kind of the last to know. You know, if, yeah. if they're getting an x-ray, the x-ray tech has to talk to the doctor and then the doctor relays that information back to the patient, which it's our system and it is what it is. But as massage therapists, we have a whole hour mm -hmm. to be able to educate the patient and tell them what we're seeing and, and communicate what we're feeling and how they're feeling and, and a lot can be learned in that time. So um, that's, that's a, a kind of a gift that we have that not a lot of 
people within the industry have. So I think it's my role and responsibility to be able to constantly be in communication with my patients um, to tell them what's going on with them. Now, that's totally diverse to what we're taught in school. Like uh -huh. when we're taught in school is, you know, create a relaxing environment and mm -hmm. maybe don't talk all that much. And, and I think, you know, and certainly I've been mentored myself that that it seems to be a little bit backwards, mm. especially in an orthopedic practice. When people are coming to you in pain, they're coming to you for a medical reason. Um, I think it's counterproductive not to talk to the patients. <laughs> <laughs> that does <laughs> you know make I mean? sense. Yeah. And also, and on top of that, building on that, teaching them and showing them through rehabilitative exercise or, or Remex or whatever, what they can do to continue that at home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just having a one-off and having a patient come to you in practice, you're not going to make a whole lot of effect And educating. This is how often you need to come back. This is why, this mm -hmm. is what my goals are. This is how it fits in with your goals. Um, yeah. Like there's a lot of talking that needs to go on there to have an effective practice with that one particular patient in their injury. Yeah. So the, your responsibility is is that education, making sure you're clearly explaining their journey through yeah. whatever it is they're going through. And, and if you've done that, whether whatever happens outside of that, you know, you did what you yeah. set out to and do. then it's up to them. And, and I think a lot of that <laughs> communication is making them aware that a lot of this rests on them. Hmm. And um, booking their appointments as recommended and doing the home care, you know, there's, there's such a huge difference when you're with your patients, the ones that do their home care and the ones that don't. The ones that do their home care, come back in, you know, a week later or whenever you recommend that they come back in yeah. and they've moved forward. The ones that don't, don't. They just, <laughs> you know, and it's, I don't know why it surprises me every time when people do their <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exercise. I'm like, they're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, you feel so much better. But then at the same time, I'm just like, of course you feel better. Like, <laughs> you did what you were supposed to. Good 15 for you. years later, it's still exciting though. <laughs> yeah, 50, 15 years later, it's yeah. still exciting when people do their homework. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's really wonderful advice. And I think that's a good note to start wrapping things up on with just this last question that I want to ask, sure. which I think is tangentially related okay. uh, to... Um, <laughs> The, a, a common think idea that most students walk out of school with. What do you think is, or what do you see with you know, hiring new grads, seeing what people are coming in and maybe they're too focused on rent or they're too focused on this and that. If you could help change one shift in these new grads in the way that they think or yeah. start approaching their, <laughs> their, their career, what would that be? Well, one is realize you're going into a career and not a job. For the vast majority of students, you're going to be a contractor. That's you're your own business. And that concept doesn't seem to land very well, um, that you are your own business within a clinical setting or on your own. So, you know, it, uh, how do I describe this? I. I describe it to my students in that when you're setting into a multidisciplinary clinic, for example, or an interdisciplinary clinic, think of yourself as a coffee shop in a plaza. So you're your own little coffee shop and everybody likes your brand of coffee versus Starbucks around the corner and they come to see you because of what you have to offer. Um, so you have to protect that as if you're a little coffee shop. So that doesn't mean you can just shut shop and go, you know, backpacking around Europe by yourself for a month mm. because your patients or your clients are all going to go around the corner to Starbucks because you let them down mm -hmm. versus if you hired someone like a locum or whatever to, to look after your patients while you went away. Um, but you have to think of yourself as that little coffee shop in a plaza. Like you get along with everyone, but you have to follow certain rules, but it is your business that you are responsible for. And you can't be pointing fingers at, at other people like, oh, well, you, you know, 
this whatever yeah. like it's your it's your fault that my practice failed no baby yeah. it's your fault that your practice fails uh-huh. or patients aren't rebooking or you know whatever it is right um so that's one thing is just realizing that you are your own business the other thing is um is this whole concept of rent hmm. um you know i hear oh my favorite one was i had a student once and like, if you want to, if you want to annoy me in like five seconds or less, just say, <laughs> I got this super great deal on rent. How? <laughs> Why is that a great deal? Oh, it's a low percentage. I'm like, okay. And I had this one student, she, she was like, oh, they're going to do all my marketing and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. What are they going to do for your marketing? And she's like, oh, they're going to put my name and uh, write up in a local paper. Hmm. Hmm. What, do, what do you do with your local paper? And she kind of stared at me. I'm like, yeah, you take it from the front door and you put it in the recycling bin. <laughs> unless you're doing paper mache with your kids. Um, so I'm just like, that might not be effective marketing. <laughs> what yeah. do you do when you're looking for a new restaurant? She's like, Google search. And, and then, you, you know, it brings in the whole thing of SEO and effective marketing and online campaigns and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but with rent, you have to break it down and know what you're getting for what you're paying. Hmm. Um, and there's so much involved in it. Um, and it's... It really, it's a breakdown of what you want for what you're getting. Um, so do you want someone to do the marketing for you? Do you want someone to do the laundry for you? Do you want to supply your own linens and oils? Like, what do you want? Hmm. And again, it's out there, but you have to break it down and then do the math, mm-hmm. which we as massage therapists aren't super great at. But <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're massage therapists. Well, yeah, but when it comes to looking for, you know, and, and that's all rent is, is what you're getting for what you're paying. Hmm. Um, and there's and there's so much to it and you have to break it down. And, and there's a really great colleague, um, Jenny, and I'm going to say her last name wrong, Slow and White, I think. <laughs> and she uh, she's fantastic. She's at Coast. And she yeah. put out this breakdown as a clinic owner, everything that rent goes towards. Hmm. Um, and it's so many things that you don't even think about. <laughs> um, but it's really important to know when you want to find a place and how much you want to pay for what you do and don't want to do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Which is huge. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, forget about the whole, uh, I want a certain percentage or I want a certain percentage cap. Like there's pros and cons to all of it. So mm-hmm. you just have to, you have to do the math for what you want. And yeah. I realize it's such a vague answer, but <laughs> no, that's, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's really good. So it's, Taking responsibility for your own practice, treating yourself as a business because yes. you are a business owner. You are a business and owner. And knowing what you're paying for when you're getting rent so yeah. that you aren't just looking for the best deal because who knows what the best deal is getting you or what I, you need to know what you want in order to find define a best deal. And the best deal is going to be different for literally every person coming out of school. So yeah. it's important to, it, I mean, like starting any business, it's, you have to do your homework. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's incredible advice, and I think a good place to start wrapping things up on, or finish wrapping finish things up wrapping on. Up. Yeah. So thank you very you much. And, you and I take a long time to wrap up. Yes, we do. It <laughs> tends on take, takes an hour sometimes. So thank you very much for taking the time to chat oh, today. This so has been super you. insightful and really fun. Thanks. Thank buddy. you, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this conversation with Adrian. If you want more information on what we talked about, head over to the website www.peoplepainandpractice.com where you can find the show notes and links to all the other episodes. If you liked this episode, please give it a share uh, to some of your friends, social media, so that we can get the word out and it can fall on more good ears. Thank you.